This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, thanks for joining me today on Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've worked out of Fayetteville, Arkansas since 1993, although I started in Dallas, Texas, went to the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. I'll give a shout out to them. And I worked there for a couple of years. But I've been here in Arkansas, and I decided back in 2012 that I wanted to extend the walls of my practice. I wanted to try to take what I'd learned as a therapist from my many patients who taught me many things, and I wanted to offer what I'd learned to you. I started out blogging, and now I'm podcasting, and I'm delighted with the kind of feedback I'm getting, that it's nice to hear how a psychologist thinks, how she or he feels, what advice I might have for you, and that a podcast is a perfect way for me to reach you. You may be in counseling, you may never have even considered going into therapy, but you're curious about what a psychologist might have to say. Maybe you're a therapist yourself, so if you are, welcome. Today we're going to be talking about parenting, and I don't think there is a more difficult thing to do than to be a good enough parent. It's hectic, it's complicated, it's fatiguing, it's wonderful, it's meaningful, it's frightening, it's full of sacrifice and the need to cooperate with your partner. You know, you would think that having someone else to parent with you would make it easier, and it does in some ways just ask a single parent, but how often have you been in charge of your kids and then the other parent comes home and all hell breaks loose? I know it happened to me frequently. And you say things were fine until you got home. It happens all the time and we can get so defensive with one another. So we're going to talk about how to cooperate well and what are the traps that are set everywhere in the process. You know, what happens to you when the two of you begin having children? I'm going to tell you a story about when I became a parent, what my particular reaction to it was. Often there's a battle for control, lots and lots of we did it this way in my family, and it worked for me, who's right, who's wrong. Maybe you're trying so hard to not parent like your parents did that you can even miss some things there. That also happened to me. And I'm going to share with you my funniest kind of gross parenting moment. Maybe you can laugh with me, not at me. (laughs) I appreciate that. And then on a quite a different topic, I'll be sharing with you a listener email about falling for someone with narcissistic tendencies and what you can do about that. So let's get started. We all start out thinking that our spouses are just wonderful. We go on a honeymoon, things are going great. Sure, as the years pass, there are a few things that are a little bit annoying, Of course, there are many marriages that go sour even within the first few months, but we're going to be talking about the marriages that at least at that point are pretty solid. You talk about having children, you think he'd be a fantastic dad, and you think she's going to be an amazing mom one of these days, right? And as long as the two of you aren't thinking about parenthood, whatever annoys you or irritates you rolls off your back pretty well. 
So he's a little loud when he watches football or gets angry at the opposing team. So she spends a lot of time with her mother, maybe even confides in her things that you'd rather her not. But after all, they've had a relationship far longer than you. So you make justifications you try to understand. Might disagree, but you try to understand. All that feels very livable. He lets you know he loves you. She says y'all have a great, solid marriage and you're doing a good job. Then the two of you get pregnant. And all of a sudden, those things that were irritating rear their heads as monsters. The characteristics that seemed tolerable become intolerable. Not only now do they affect your life, they're going to affect your child's life. You wonder if he's going to teach your child to yell at the television set or if she's not going to have good boundaries with your child. You begin to see the vulnerabilities, the problems, the eccentricities, whatever it is that your partner has, as more frightening. I don't know about you, but when I became a parent, I remember when Rob was brought to me and I looked down at his little face. Now, I was 39 years old at the time. I looked down at him and thought, what have I done? (laughs) I've worked through three, four years of infertility treatment to have this child who now is completely my responsibility and my husband's. And I feel already so vulnerable. I'm going to be happy when he smiles. I'm going to be sad or scared when he cries. Do I really know what I'm doing? My husband informed me he'd read the pamphlet on parenting. So I knew he was going to be helpful. It's a scary thing being a parent, if you parent with integrity at least. So as you begin to think about your partner's vulnerabilities, your partner's struggles, you begin to wonder how it's going to affect his or her ability to parent well. And of course, the same process may be going on for your spouse, maybe not as consciously as for you, but can be very similar. And that's when it can begin, a battle for control. The battle over whose teaching tactics are right and whose are wrong. I'm going to give you four different ways that those battles do not have to happen. They're simple, but a lot of what I say is simple. If you keep these simple things in mind, there's a chance that you and your spouse won't bicker or pout about what the other one believes or doesn't believe or should or shouldn't be doing. So here we go. The first one is realizing that most approaches to parenting have their strong points when used at the right times. Say that someone deals with anxiety and can be very overprotective or obsess about safety. Maybe they were abused themselves as a child. That is the parent who's going to notice that the hammock is being hung over a sharp rock. And you want them to see that, right? That vigilance is important. Or let's take the other parent is more lax and not as good with watching the kids. That parent is the one who's going to argue that it's time for little Johnny to be allowed to go with friends alone to a game. You see, both brands of parenting can be correct or right at a certain time. It takes each parent acknowledging what their particular struggle is, weakness, maybe their thinking is a little off, what they might underdo or overdo, and realize that sometimes their partner's instincts are much more on target. It takes mutual respect for what both perspectives are. I'll give you an example of my own parenting. My mother was highly protective of me, overprotective really, 
And so I was trying to do what many people do and not make that mistake, right? Well, my aunt, who I love dearly, and I were watching my son, who was at the time a toddler, on a tricycle, one of those little plastic tricycles. He was coming down the driveway and smashing into this concrete wall that was about mm, maybe a foot and a half high, laughing and giggling and having the best time. And the hill was pretty steep on our driveway. And she got this look on her face, and she looked up at me and said, Margaret, don't you think he ought to be wearing a helmet? I thought, oh, my God, yes, he should be wearing a helmet. It's like I woke up. I slammed it on his head. He looked up at me very surprised and thought, Mom, what's going on? And I said, you have to wear your helmet. But my own desire to not be overprotective had gotten in my way of seeing the situation realistically. So it was important for me to listen to my aunt. Now, would I have been as open to it if it had been my husband? Maybe, maybe. If I'm truthful, probably not. It's hard not to get defensive and take the feedback that, you know, perhaps you could see this from my perspective and treat that perspective with respect. The second one is to appreciate and thank one another for your differences. Frequently, you're attracted to somebody very opposite from you. For example, if you're really good at accomplishing tasks and being very performance-oriented or task-oriented, you're very likely to be attracted to someone who really plays well. So let's say she's the partner who's going to drop everything on a Saturday morning and say, you know, it's a gorgeous day. Let's take the kids for a hike. You can either grouse about that. You know, when was the last time you helped clean the kitchen? If you're the task-oriented one. So you have to remember you married someone far different from you because you wanted to learn something from them, right? And you may have married this person because they were so spontaneous and fun. So you say, well, you know what? Thanks for getting me out there. It was beautiful, but how about tomorrow we clean up the kitchen? That way, you give your partner the chance to respect what's important to you, and you learn and live out a different way of being. You grow together. A third thing to realize is that actually your children are probably better off because the two of you are different. They can get the best of both styles of parenting if you're not constantly fighting for control. I've heard of very dramatic differences being worked out, everything from really diverse religious views to academic preferences, public school, private school. Now, this kind of cooperation does take flexibility. And if you're married to someone who's very rigid or doesn't really want to be flexible about their opinion, then that's really hard. There's that lack of respect or what John Gottman would call contempt. Maybe the rigid person will either not allow their partner to parent, to make choices or suggestions, or they may be highly critical of them if they do. I don't put diapers on like that. Why are you letting me stay in the tub for so long? She doesn't like her sandwiches like that. Just try not to do that. Not only is it not respectful, it's a terrible example to set for your kids. And here's a fourth Manage your own insecurity. Your kids will be fine. There's that moment I talked to you about when I looked at my son and thought, oh my gosh, I just don't know what I've done. It's a very insecure moment. And I think parenting is a huge exercise in tolerating ambiguity. I often ask my patients, well, how do you know if this is the right choice for your child? 
in your parenting or your decision making, and they'll look at me and say, well, if it turns out all right. Well, how can you know if it's going to turn out all right? You can't. That's in the future. And parenting is something where you really don't get the final results for 20 or more years. Kids go through incredibly significant transitions and changes. And you're not the only one in control, of course. As soon as they start making friends, those friends are going to be really important as well. So if you parent with integrity, of course you want to do it as right as you can. And remember, kids are going to do more of what they see you do, not necessarily what you tell them to do. So to handle this kind of insecurity, you may need to talk to your friends, especially with social media. We all think everybody's children line up and smile for the camera and are perfect little bundles of joy and happiness. As I had a patient tell me a little while ago, nobody takes a picture of their children's poop in the shower. And that's She didn't use the word poop either. So, you know, that's not what we want the world to see, so we don't show it. But remember... Somebody's kid is pooping in the shower. It might be yours. If you get really insecure about your parenting, then think about going to a therapist or take your children with you to therapy. Whatever you need to do, as long as children feel safe and loved, the majority of them will do just great. And what will they say to you when they get to be adults and you say, I don't know how you survived me and your dad as a parent. And they'll say, oh, mom or dad, y'all are just different. (laughs) Maybe they wouldn't say y'all. That's a Southern thing. But you two are really just different. Okay, I told you I was going to tell on myself about my worst (laughs) parenting moment, I think. And I did not make someone else's day either. My son was sick in the back of the car. I want to say he was about three or four. He was old enough to hold a cup. I had some sort of cup in the back seat and I held it out to him and said just throw up into that Rob which he did dutifully and then I jumped out of the car and I was in front of a house with a woman in the yard and the cup was filling up and I didn't know what to do I was flustered frustrated worried about him and so I took the cup handed Rob a towel which is all the other things I had and I walked over to the woman in her yard and said would you please throw this away from me (laughs) Oh my gosh, the look on her face, I will never forget. I think probably she was afraid to go out in her yard for years. (laughs) So we all have those moments. As I say, it was funny for me, not so funny for that poor lady. I'd love to hear y'all's. If you could uh, email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com and you don't mind me sharing what you've said on air, I'll do it. I'd love to hear some of your stories. So let's recap. The four simple actions, beliefs, realizations that you've got to have to parent cooperatively. Remember that most approaches to parenting have their strong points when they're used at the right time. To appreciate and have gratitude for your differences. To realize your children are better off because you two are different. And to manage your own insecurity about parenting. Your kids are much more likely to be fine than not. Today's listener email is about a woman who was facing separation and divorce and then got caught up with someone that sounds pretty narcissistic. Here we go. I recently got separated, and that separation came right out of the blue. I'd been with my husband for several years, had overinvested in the relationship, and then one day he just left. 
I was in recovery, I'm assuming she means either drug or alcohol recovery, for the last two years of our marriage. A couple of weeks, notice weeks, after the breakup, I met a man online. He was very upfront that he worked abroad from the beginning, but when we met, he showered me with intense affection, sex, compliments, and intimacy. He ended up staying with me for a whole week, sleeping in the same bed, having deep conversations, and living like a couple. I felt like I had met the one. Then he left, and for three weeks, he was hot and cold with me. I was suffering. He talked about our possible future, but then he would say there was no future, and back and forth like this, until he decided to fly over and visit again. Alas, another intense week ensued, where I think I fell in love, and thought it was reciprocated. He talked about changing his career and moving closer. I had hope. Then he left and within a few days had moved to another country and ceased contact with me. He sent some sporadic emails which were very distant and has been like that since. I should mention that at times he got angry with me and called me selfish or said I had a difficult personality. He also said he was addicted to porn and that he watched young girls as young as 13 as well as some other extreme pornography. While all this was going on, I had a relapse, but I'm now back in recovery. Does this man sound like a narcissist? Does watching that kind of porn make him a pedophile? I don't know what to do in some ways. I still think we could be in love and he could be the one. Yet I know that all these things are warning signs. Please help. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's easy to read that and think, oh my Lord, how could someone be this confused? But believe it or not, a lot of people do this. The piece of advice I give most often that is not followed most often is to wait until your divorce is final for several months or even a year before you begin reaching out to someone else. But most people do not pay any attention to that advice. I promise. So I write back, hi, these are huge warning signs. And it certainly sounds as if you've been abused and manipulated. I recommend waiting several months to a year before beginning another relationship when one has ended. You need more time to figure out why you chose the person you did. If you don't wait, you'll choose the same kind of person again. And certainly it seems like you might have. He might seem different, but you haven't changed. So how could your choice be different? You're still looking for the same kind of relationship. Please take the time to grieve your marriage being over. Find a therapist, read articles or books. Take the time necessary to understand your own vulnerabilities. If you're not urgent about finding someone, you are far less likely to attract someone who's controlling or manipulative. You won't accept bad behavior. Your recovery is vital and shows a lot of strength on your part. Good for you. But you need to take time. As far as the matter with porn, yes, of course, this man has a problem. Probably a pornographic addiction. Even more sign that you need to stay away and try to create a life for yourself in recovery and use whatever appropriate support system you have to do that. Take good care and good luck to you. As I said a few minutes ago, it's easy maybe to even be judgmental toward this woman, but one, that's not helpful, and two, there are a lot of people like her that go sequentially or serially from one relationship to another. If you're one, you might want to think about it.
Thanks for hanging out with me today and talking about parenting, hearing my stories. My patients inform me I tell a lot of stories. <laughs> you can reach out to me in a lot of different ways. I've already talked to you about emailing me, askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I love getting to know who you are, why you listen to the podcast, what you might like to hear about, or share a problem with me, and I will answer you. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and I blog there weekly. Or you could actually get the podcast there, too, or subscribe to that website, and you'll get a newsletter with everything in it, both my podcast and my blog. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Margaret, and I'm over at Instagram as well. I share stuff about my personal life there, silly things, really, but fun things, maybe some sensitive or tender things. I would so appreciate for those of you who could take just a minute or two to rate and review self-work. It's the only way I have on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud to get other people's attention because it raises me in their ratings, especially on iTunes. So I'd very much appreciate it. And of course, I would also be so grateful for you to subscribe. That gives me intense motivation to keep doing this because I know there are people out there every week waiting to hear a little bit more of what I have to say. So thank you for being a part of self-work. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.